We're on the eve of one of the dreaded weekends of the year. On Sunday, we turn the clocks back and we lose all of our daylight. But at least it's supposed to be sunny and brisk for fall. It's today in Ohio, the news discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. You're with my colleagues, Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston. Laura, you're always the contrary, and you probably like turning the clocks back. I'm a contrarian. I feel like you got me mixed up with someone else. But I mean, there is something nice about that extra hour of sleep with the fallback. But no, I don't think anybody likes having it dark at 5 p.m. I hate it. This is for me one of the worst days of the year. It's for the next four months. It's just you get up in darkness. I thought, I thought Ohio was going to end this. Weren't we going to, weren't they going to vote against uh, yeah, the daylight what, savings garbage? We, yeah, we talked about it and uh, the feds have talked about it. And it's just, it's just, it's so hard to have the sun go down that early. Uh, I dread it. And I don't care about that extra hour of sleep. I wake up at the same time anyway. Let's start. If Cleveland Police Chief Calvin Williams decided months ago that he was stepping down, why did he wait until two days after the mayoral election to announce it? Laura Johnston, the candidate that he probably hoped would win, Kevin Kelly, who would have been the status quo candidate, didn't win. And then two days later, he says, well, I decided when Frank Jackson announced he wouldn't seek re-election, I was leaving. So why not say it then? Why say it now? I'm throwing the flag. I was going to say, that's a good question. I can't answer. It's not like we reported or he said publicly that he planned to ret retire when Frank Jackson stepped down, but he chose this police award ceremony to make his announcements. And obviously two days after Justin Bibb won the mayor's race and issue 24 passed, making civilians in charge of police discipline. And Bibb had made it known he didn't want to keep the chief on. So I, I, maybe he would have been persuaded to stay if Kelly had stayed, you know, if Kelly had won and the status quo had prevailed. But um, Williams grew up in Cleveland, was hired as a police officer in 1986, became chief in 2014. He actually retired and was rehired in 2018. So, he, he, you know, it's, it's the end of his career. Yeah, I, I, I just not buying it. If he, if he really intended to step down, he would have stepped down. It, it would to come two days after the election. It's like, okay, we have a new mayor coming in that doesn't want me. I'm not going to wait till he fires me or moves me aside. I'm going now. And you're right. The, the civilian control thing is a big deal. And it's a bit of a repudiation of Chief Calvin Williams. He's had seven years since the consent decree documents first came out showing how screwed up police were to fix the system. And he's part of the problem. I mean, people showed up in in pretty big percentages to say, we want this fixed. We don't trust you anymore. We want civilians in control. So he had to look at that landscape and say, it's time to go. He Look, he, the guy rose to stardom uh, during the Republican National Convention. You know, there was a lot riding on how Cleveland pulled that off. He was riding all over town with the bike patrols. He was everywhere. They largely had a very good image throughout that. They arrested the flag burners and had to pay some money for that and kind of weren't truthful about how that went down. But overall, it was a big, big day. But there aren't a whole lot of other highlights, right? I mean, he's... No, and he's he's hasn't been a super public figure. He hasn't talked in public that many times. He hasn't given a whole lot of interviews to us. I think he's kind of stayed in the background and maybe maybe that was by design, but you know, for the RNC and all of the violence that didn't take place, then we had one bad day after the George Floyd protests last year in Cleveland. And you know, that's fresher in people's minds. 
Well, and we never got an accounting because the city council under President Kevin Kelly never did its job, partly because mm-hmm. Kevin Kelly had a head of public safety whose son was a police officer. It was one of the most ridiculous situations I've seen, uh, which I think is another reason they went to the polls like they did. He has seen a lot of tragedy. He, was, he wasn't chief a year before his department killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice. I mean, that, right. that was a bad day. Month also, later, Tanisha Anderson, the same year, died of right. police custody. Right. Somebody having a mental health problem and they kill her. And then you had the consent decree documents come out, which just obliterated the police department in every way, describing it as an occupying force that treated people terribly and had no accountability. It, and and since then, it's there's been other lots of other bad news coming around. He He seemed like in 2016, he could do no wrong and that he'd ride that because he had such a national stage. But he did go back. I was shocked. Adam Faris, our longtime police reporter, uh, told me yesterday he's never once interviewed him one on one. The only time he's had a chance to talk to him is when the chiefs come over to the editorial board. There's something wrong with that. If you're the police chief, you should be talking to the, the, the main crime reporter for the biggest news outlet. And he never did. And he didn't again yesterday. They tried to reporter shop and have the chief talk to somebody else. And we don't do that. It's like Adam's doing the story. You're going to talk to Adam or we're not going to talk to you. And they didn't talk to him. So we'll have to see what happens. There'll be an interim chief. Was one appointed? I don't believe so, right? I didn't see one, no. But um, you're right. I mean, I don't think Williams ever openly criticized the consent decree. He went along with it. I just don't think that he did enough, especially in recent years, to stem police misconduct and, you know, hence issue 24. Also, the rise in violent crime here and across the country is not helping. It's interesting, the the rise in violent crime, that the city never tackled that. And now we have a new mayor who has an idea that I just keep thinking about might be brilliant. Universal after school care for those three hours between the end of the school day and when parents come home from work. Think about if you could do that, if you could get most of the city's children in a safe space for those three hours, those dangerous three hours, how much of a difference might that make? And nobody has done that. It's just, and now we have a new mayor saying that's one of my first priorities. It's like, well, why didn't why didn't the current administration do that? Why didn't the police chief suggest that? They're the ones dealing with twelve and thirteen year olds having gun battles on the way home from school. We'll have to see what's next. We'll have to see whether Justin Bibb goes outside the city for a new chief to get a whole new dimension, or if he finds somebody in the ranks that he trusts to lead the department. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How does Cleveland City Council choose its new council president and who do we might think will prevail today when the vote is taken? Leila Tassi, this is the second most powerful position in the city and and in the right hands. It's very powerful. A lot of eyes are on this. Justin Bibb could either have a good partner that's working on the bold moves or somebody that does something we've seen very little out of this this council. Be the watchdog. Be the ones that ask the tough questions so that you hammer out a better policy than what is originally proposed. Yes, that's all true. And by the time many of our listeners hear this, we may very well know who the next city council president will be. They've called a special caucus at 10 o'clock this morning at City Hall to cast their votes. And, um, you know, both reelected and newly elected council members are invited to attend this meeting. 
for, for this vote, they're they're not going to invoke that controversial unit rule, which is that really stupid rule that says that everyone in the caucus has to vote unanimously or, or they'll be banished from future caucus meetings. For this, everyone's going to get to cast their, their own vote for the person they believe to be the best leader for the next term. Then in January, they'll gather again for a formal vote. And at that point, it'll be expected that the caucus will be unified in, in the decision. As for who it will be for this very powerful position... It's really between Councilman Blaine Griffin and Carrie McCormick. Both have been trying to whip up the votes and, and trying to show their leadership chops these past several months. McCormick is the one who organized that series of special council meetings to flesh out council's priorities for the federal stimulus money. And that move was widely seen as, as wrestling control of the process away from the current council president, Kevin Kelly. But Griffin is really popular among his colleagues. And he, too, has been pushing back against the administration at the committee table as it relates to federal stimulus spending. He's asked some pretty tough questions around why so much of that money would be spent on police when we're kind of in the process of rethinking police deployment in general. But, you know, if I had to bet, I'd, I'd probably put my money on Griffin prevailing today because, you know, not many council members wanted to divulge to Courtney Astolfi who they would vote for today. But Griffin is the one who called for the caucus. And, he told Courtney he believes he has the, enough votes. He only needs nine. So if he's in, in a big rush to get to this vote, I think it's because he knows he he has it in his pocket. Look, Blaine Griffin's a great guy. I mean, he's been a great guy for a long time, and a lot of people give him credit for the city not erupting in violence when others did during a very volatile period a few years ago. He was Frank Jackson's community relations director. I do think he has his eyes on being mayor and the council presidency, except in Kevin Kelly's case, can be a springboard to that. It allows you to raise <laughs> some money. So if he wants to run in four years, he yeah. could do that. The downside is, is if that's what his goal is, he could be more of a foil to Justin Bibb than he, he might be if he weren't seeking that. But I, look, we all would be glad to see accountability in the city council. We would like to see them asking hard questions of the administration. That's why we set the government up this way. The, the administration proposes things, the council chews on it, has hearings, asks hard questions, and you come up with a good policy. They don't, they haven't done that in years. I mean, they just, mm -hmm, it's been mm -hmm. a, kind of a rubber stamp. So he'd be good in that way. Kerry McCormick would probably be the more solid partner to Justin Bibb. And, and if Justin Bibb came up with a radical idea, help get it through. But I don't think Blaine Griffin will stand in the way of a good idea. I think he would push something forward. So either way, I think we're going to be in a in a pretty good place. Uh, Blaine Griffin is fairly universally admired. I don't I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody criticize him for his policies and for how he handles himself. And let's face it, lots of people know him. So it's going to be an interesting vote. They, but you're right. The fact that they called the vote for today he has the votes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, that said, you know, there's at least one of the new members, Rebecca Moore, who toppled longtime incumbent Tony Brancatelli, who says that she's upset by this rush to make the decision about the presidency. I mean, the tabulating machines aren't even cold yet. <laughs> and Griffin is calling for this vote. You know, and she says, you know, it's almost as if, you know, he doesn't want anyone to think about it too long. <laughs> and um, you know, so she was she was yesterday kind of putting that out there. Um, so we'll see how 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 it shakes out. Um, well, go ahead. Put it, 
but then it'll be up to to Blaine Griffin to bring them together, right? I mean, yeah, that's right, part right. of leadership is to is to say, you know, Rebecca, I know you're upset that this didn't have more time, but our tradition is if somebody has the votes, they go and they they call the vote. It's happened in pretty much every previous time. But let's work together. You got work mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. You have an agenda. I want to make it happen. I want to help your neighborhood. He can make this into a win if he is the one that prevails. There was a third one, kind of delusional, Brian that's Casey, <laughs> who was saying, right. I want to be it. It's like, okay, let's let's not be silly let's have some self-awareness you you know i also wanted to mention just because it's so peculiar i've always found it so strange is is that that interesting racial dynamic that component that strange unwritten rule or or tradition that if the mayor is black the council president would be white and vice versa that i think is going to come to an end if bling i mean bling griffin said as much to courtney astolfi like that this is pretty much the end of that there's no uh, you know that 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 the, the uh, Justin Bibb victory resounding across the city in in most cases. I mean, there's no it, it doesn't boil down to race anymore. It's uh, you know we're not we're not in that era any longer. No, I, I actually they've been saying for more than a decade that that really doesn't apply anymore. It's just that it always has been de facto. Right. That's the way it's come out. I mean, you had Kevin Kelly with Frank Jackson and Marty Sweeney with Frank Jackson, it was Jim Campbell. Frank Jackson was the council president. I mean, it's it's gone like that for a long time. But everybody down there has said it's it's not because that's intended. So that it's just coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds well, I, I don't think it was coincidence 25 years ago, but it, but it is coincidence now. And this will prove it. If Blaine Griffin when I don't think anybody on council is voting for a council president based on race. I don't think they actually have for quite some time. But today we'll probably bear that out. And, and good. You know, it was kind of stupid. right? It was it's stupid. A, I remember covering City Hall and someone telling me that. And I was like, nah. And it's it was an actual thing that they talked about. I mean, it. I don't know. I thought that was so peculiar all these years. You know, I wanted okay. to note for our listeners and, and readers that starting this week with the changing of the guard at City Hall, we have our own changing of the guard at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Reporter Courtney Astolfi will be shifting her duties from county government coverage to, to Cleveland City Hall. And meanwhile, we have a new reporter, Caitlin Durbin, who's going to be covering the county. And she comes to us via the Toledo Blade, and she's absolutely terrific. And then veteran reporter Bob Higgs, who's covered City Hall for the past five years, is going to become our our kind of top dog general assignment reporter. So very exciting. And look for their their stories. Okay, we're not going to get through all our questions today. You are listening (laughs) to Today in Ohio. What reasons did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine provide yesterday for asking two state school board members to resign? Lisa, this is another throw on the flag, but let's go through what his reasons are before we call the penalty. Well, his reasons are really straight out of the anti-CRT playbook. I mean, almost word for word. He he said that, you know, we shouldn't be dividing kids, parents, or this country. We don't want to make kids feel guilty for something that happened in the past or make children feel like victims. But this but it took him a week to say this. I mean, these two board members, Laura Kohler and Eric Pokler, were asked to resign last week and were now getting the explanation. But he said DeWine said that it was clear that the Senate was wasn't going to confirm them. So he thought he would suggested, air quotes, he suggested that they resign. He said they didn't have to, but we all know that the writing was on the wall for them because the Senate did confirm three board members who voted against Resolution 20, which was like the anti-racism resolution. So yeah, this is kind of a, 
a big fall from grace for me from the days when, you know, DeWine was the grandfatherly governor, you know, guiding us through the pandemic and trying to keep us safe. And now he's just falling in with the with the Republican rhetoric. It's kind of sad to see. Well, but the other stuff he said, and this is where I think it, it's completely bogus. He said, no child should be made to feel guilty. Right. No child should be feel like they're a victim. They're a victim. There was nothing. All right. There was nothing that said that. The resolution at heart here was a simple acknowledgement that racism had existed in Ohio and a commitment that it not exist today or in the future. Nobody ever said kids in school are going to be told they're to blame for slavery. It's just ridiculous. So it's this false thing. It's denying something that's not there. And what really disappoints me about this is journalists ate it up. Mm -hmm. the, The whole critical race theory movement was phony. There was no critical race theory being taught in schools. We know that. And yet this group on the far right told everybody it was. Fox News mentioned critical race theory a thousand times over the past six months. And now we have the governor giving that false nonsense to the public. No child should be made like that's what was at stake. That was never at stake. Shame on Mike DeWine for doing that. What he just should have said is, look, this is pragmatism. They weren't going to get confirmed. I told them it was going to get ugly. I suggested they might want to just walk away before it gets ugly. I feel bad about this, but the Senate, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do and I can't stop it. That's honest, right? That's that's decent. But to follow it up by saying no kids should be made to feel guilty, shame on him. That's just bad to do. It's bad policy. Wayla, you want to ring in? You know, I want to say that, you know, just kind of piggybacking on on what Lisa was saying about the uh, about DeWine being the hero of the pandemic and falling from grace. I'm starting to think he wasn't the hero of the pandemic. I think Amy Acton was the hero of the pandemic. You know, after she left, his handling of it fell apart. You know, the vaccine rollout was terrible. And then as Republicans started to turn on him, he stepped back from state mandated COVID precautions. So I think this is all in keeping with who uh, Mike DeWine really is. And um, he, uh, yeah, he, he landed exactly where where we could have expected him to. And we know that, you know, in this race, because Jim Renacci is is running for governor against DeWine, and he's already, he submitted a press release yesterday that's lauding the victories of the candidates who ran against uh, anti-CRT theory or whatever. And I really hate that term, anti-CRT, because as journalists in the media, we're basically cementing that term into people's consciousness. I just wish we could that's find a, a better way to talk about it. You know, it's it's easy because it's shorthand. It's, well, it's an acronym, you know. Well, I, I do. We aren't. I mean, in our newsroom, we've been like focused on debunking it, but that's not what everybody else is doing. They took what he said yesterday like it was real and it's not real. Mm-hmm. He, he's it's made up nonsense that he's peddling. And we have to say that there was never any point in which children were going to be taught you're to blame for slavery is preposterous. You know, I also I also just want to say that I'm I'm really glad to see that most of the anti-CRT contingent did not succeed in the big way that we all feared that they would yes. in, on Tuesday's election, at least not in Northeast Ohio. But uh, I'm I'm just afraid that with Mike DeWine setting the tenor as he has, this is going to get very ugly on the school boards where those candidates did win on Tuesday nights. We're going to see all kinds of attacks on any kind of programming in these districts that focuses on diversity and inclusion. And it's uh, it's going to get a whole lot worse with with DeWine backing them. OK, you're listening to Today in Ohio.
What are Northeast Ohio businesses saying about the details of the workplace vaccine mandate ordered by the White House? Laura, this is real now. There'll be lawsuits to stop it, and we'll have to see if the Supreme Court gets involved. They haven't shown a willingness so far to get involved in things like this. They've let a lot of mandates stand. But what are what are the businesses telling us, if anything? Yeah, they're not telling us a whole lot. Basically, that they're looking over the rules, that they value their employees' health, and that they plan to comply. So as far as we know, no Northeast Ohio businesses are planning to sue. Sean McDonald, our new business reporter, called a whole lot of places, didn't get much in return. Progressive said they're sorting out the rules. First Energy said it's reviewing the guidelines. And the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, which unlike some other Northeast Ohio health systems, did not choose to mandate the vaccines before this, say they will comply. And some businesses, this could be a good thing for them because they say it's going to give them cover. If they were worried that they would lose employees if they mandated vaccines, but someone else didn't, everybody's going to be on the same playing field. But you have a lot of the retail and restaurant associations saying it's hard enough to get workers. We feel like this is really going to hurt us. And this will start January 4th. OSHA is going to be in charge of enforcing, although OSHA is probably not going to check every vaccination card of every worker at every business over with more than 100 employees. But that's the, the vehicle that this will be enforced. The, the it is a tough one because I mean you got to comply. It's a federal rule, right? And there can be fines, but there is, there are some weird details. Like if your your staff is working remotely, and the thing said mostly outside, then they don't have to. But if they're coming into the office even once in a while, it fully applies. It does give the out. It 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 says that weekly tests can be the result. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is. That we would, we would, if you decide to go the test route, you pay for the test. But if you go to get vaccinated and, or you get sick from the vaccine, that's got to be paid time off that the company has to eat it. So it's an interesting inducement from the company to get people to do it, you know, or they get tested at their own expense. Right. And religious exemptions are available. So you wonder if there's going to be a whole lot more people that, that get go get become ministers on the internet just so they can get an exemption but we haven't really seen that play out in the healthcare systems that we've reported on so i don't know i I think you're right this is going to end up in the courts but it's at least it puts everybody on the same footing okay you're listening to today in ohio Following up on Tuesday's elections, what parts of Cleveland provided the most support for Issue 24, the charter change to put civilians in control of discipline of police? Leila Tassi, this won big, but it didn't win big everywhere. That's right. Reporter Seth Richardson broke this down for us yesterday with an assist from our data guru, Rich Exner. Much like we saw in the mayoral race, the city's east side carried issue 24 to victory on Tuesday. About 74 percent of the east side supported it, while only 40 percent of the west side supported it. Almost every east side ward voted for it, with the exception of Ward 12, which is is the one ward that straddles the Cuyahoga River and it contains Slavic Village and parts of Tremont and Brooklyn Center and Old Brooklyn. There, only about 40 percent of voters approved it. So in, in four east side wards, more than 80 percent of voters supported it. And in another four, it did 70 percent or better. Two west side wards, including downtown Ohio City and Detroit Shoreway, also went for issue 24, while the rest of the west side opposed it. Uh, in, in the wards that performed where it performed worst were wards 17 and 13 on the west side, 13, of course, being 
Council President Kevin Kelly's ward. Those wards happen to be where Kelly campaigned really hard against issue 24 and also against Justin Bibb, who defeated him in the mayor's race. He really focused a lot of his attention there. And consequently, you know, Bib Bib lost in those wards, and so did issue 24. In fact, Kelly's Ward 13 was the only ward that didn't have a single precinct that passed issue 24. So it very much what boiled down to the east side, west side division on, on this one. I wonder, you know, we all talked about the idea that Kelly really went with a bad campaign strategy between the yes. primary and the general by pursuing an anti-issue 24 agenda and because when you look at what happened it's like you didn't have your finger on the pulse of the city at all exactly. justin bibb did months ago and i wonder if it's because he was basically just listening to his neighbors instead of really listening to people on the east side because i think anybody that had talked to people on the east side might have thought you know that's not a winning strategy that's actually a losing strategy if if 60 percent of the people in cleveland are going to vote for issue 24 then I shouldn't hitch my campaign to fighting issue 24. It was like a colossal error. You know what I was, I was thinking about this. Remember how, when mayor Frank Jackson endorsed Kelly, one of his key points about Kelly was that he stands up for what he thinks is right. Even if it's not the popular thing, I think this was Kelly kind of living up to that. You know, Kelly really did believe that issue 24 would harm the city, that it was a flawed initiative, that it wasn't the right way to achieve constitutional policing and he just went all in on that and except except Layla yeah you're right he he, a lot of people thought this was clunky and structurally bad and there are major problems with it but he put out postcard after postcard or the people supporting him did attacking Justin Bibb for his support of it to rally votes I mean it's one thing to say I'm against issue 24 but he was trying to reduce Justin Bibbs popularity by tying him to it when most of the city liked it. I mean, it is a flawed campaign strategy. Yeah, that is. You're right. You're right. It was. It, and, and yeah, to, <laughs> it really is a poor reading of of his constituency, especially since he very much needed to appeal to the east side where he was not well known at all, despite being council president for years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was it was a major, major flaw in his approach. Yeah, it was one of the most inept campaigns I think I've ever seen. It just took misstep after misstep after misstep. And I wonder if anybody running for the county is going to glom on to the people that were working for Kevin Kelly or if they're radioactive now because it was such a failure. We'll have to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why does Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost oppose the vaccine mandate for federal contractors? Lisa, Dave Yost didn't really file any suits against the federal government when Donald Trump was president. But the minute Joe Biden walked in the door, man, he has been pumping him out left and right. Politics? Nah, he's just doing what he believes in. What's he arguing here? Well, he's claiming that the federal uh, vaccine mandate, which was announced by Biden earlier this week, is both unlawful and unconstitutional. Um, He joined an existing lawsuit that was filed by the states of Kentucky and Tennessee and also Geauga and Seneca County sheriffs here in Ohio. Um, and, And as the mandate states, federal contractors employees of federal contractors must be vaccinated by the 
by the 8th of December. So their final dose would have to be November 24th. Now, the sheriffs in Geauga and Seneca County claim that they'll have to give up their contracts to house ICE detainees or immigration detainees. And they say that deputies will quit because of this and rather than get a vaccination. But then he kind of threw a little dog whistle in there. Yost said that we don't want to find out what happens to ICE detainees if we can't keep them in, you know, you know, detained. And I thought, Wow. Okay. Who's he talking to there? Um, He also wants to file a separate lawsuit with a coalition of states to challenge the mandate for employers requiring, you know, vaccinations, employers of 100 people or more. Um, So, yeah, he's he's not done yet. He's going to join another lawsuit or start another lawsuit. And interesting, we were talking earlier you know, there was a big worry, you know, New York Police Department said, oh, we're going to lose 10,000 officers because of this vaccine mandate. But so far, only 34 officers have been put on unpaid leave for refusing to get vaccinated. So that didn't come through. But yeah, it, it, just more craziness. Well, there's two points about that. One, they're not quitting because there's nothing else that'll pay them as much as they're making to do the job they're doing now. And two, do you really want them on the force if they're refusing to get a vaccine? I mean, it's like, do you really think that's about public safety? Let them go. Yeah, he he's making exaggerated, flaming, inflaming quotes. What's sad is Dave Yost is a very smart guy. He's a great guy to have a conversation with. He knows this is utter nonsense and he's peddling it for politics. He keeps filing lawsuits and putting out overwrought press releases about this the, the ridiculousness of the Biden administration. And it, it has nothing to do with public policy. It becomes a joke that no matter what the administration does, Dave Yost is going to go and sue and send out press releases and make big announcements. It, it's It's kind of sad. What's odd is I read this morning, California, not a a Republican right-wing bastion. The governor there is also opposed to this, worried that he's going to be losing the people that guard their their lockups. We'll have to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We got to cut it short, Lisa. Sorry. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. We've gone long. We'll be back Monday to talk again. Thank you for listening to the podcast.